Hello everyone, uh, Dave here. Thanks for coming along to another episode of Legends of the Spire. Uh, this is the podcast that speaks to the former players and managers of Chesterfield Football Club. Each week uh, I speak to someone, they tell us their story uh, about life inside and outside of the game. And uh, what, we're 50-something episodes in, uh, nearly 18 months, it's been an absolute adventure so far. Everyone's got a different story to tell. Uh, so if this is the first time you're listening, then please do go back. We've got absolutely loads of people from different areas at the club uh, to uh, listen to or to watch on either YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Now today, I spoke to Nathan Smith. Nathan was with us at Chesterfield from 2011 to 2014. Uh, in that time, he experienced a relegation with us, experienced a title win, uh, a win at Wembley, uh, in the Johnson's Paint Trophy, including one of the best tackles you'll ever see from him. And he also got capped for Jamaica uh, and was a fans and players player of the season as well. So it just proves that he can fit a lot into three seasons at the club. Uh, interestingly, he's done loads of things outside of the game that were really good to talk about. Uh, he famously went on a silent retreat to India, uh, which funnily enough, he said caused the most noise he's ever done when he went on that silent retreat. Uh, and he's also uh, a vegan, lives on a plant-based diet as well. That's led into uh, making energy drinks and uh, working in other areas in mind and body as well. So uh, really interesting talking to him about his journey um, from young footballer um, through to uh, entrepreneur. Uh, as always, we are at Spire Legends on Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spire on Facebook. Uh, but without further ado, I know a lot of people have been looking forward to me talking to Nathan. Uh, so here we are. This is Nathan Smith. Obviously, a lot of players I've had on the podcast have all come through like um, either Premier League or Football League academies and, and things like that and kind of gone down and through that route. But yours was a bit different, wasn't it? Yeah. I was just in the streets, you might as well say. I was playing street football academy. That's the, the place I signed up. Um, I didn't even really get into football till late. I think probably around maybe like nah, around nine, ten kind of times. Um, mm. so I used to I used to do karate when I was younger. And it was only when I think I started playing that a bit more with my friends, I kind of got in, involved a bit more in football and didn't want to do karate anymore. Mom just said, get to your first Dan Black Belt. And then, you know, then you can do whatever you want to do footballing-wise. So, yeah, just from then up until 21, just, yeah, playing street football. Had a trial, actually, funny enough, um, for the old school Wimbledon and then when I was 16. Um, but when I went, they actually turned around and said to me that I don't seem interested. <laughs> yeah, they said I don't seem bothered when I'm playing and stuff like that, which... I felt I, I couldn't understand, you know, because for me, I felt like every ball that bounced, I reacted. Every ball that was in the air, I always tried to react. Um, and fast forward, I don't know, say, I don't know, about 10 years when I was about 26, 27, I remember someone saying to me, you know, my body posture and language that I give off is so relaxed that someone who's not used to it may feel like, um, I'm just not really bothered. I'm just very, very laid back. But even though internally, I know I'm trying to do this and do that, do this and do that, I can't see what I'm giving off. So it was a real eye-opener, funny enough, how many years down the line, because it got me to understand sometimes, you know, how, you know, we, we can perceive people when internally, 
they don't even realize what body language they're giving off. You know, I walk very much laid back. I don't even realize it. I feel like I'm just walking very quick and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was uh, the beginning. It's interesting because I uh, had um, Alex Bailey on who uh, started his youth career at like uh, Arsenal, but he did a lot of uh, martial arts before he became a footballer. And he said it really like, helped him when he actually got into football to have some of that discipline and kind of a different sport kind of behind him as well. It's the same for you. Yeah, do you know what? Um, discipline, you could say, was in there as well. But I think when I now look at it further on down the line, I find that I think when I, what actually got me into the game, like when I was 21, when I signed for Yeovil, um, was that or when I was playing, I used to do things that no one could understand how I did them at times, you know? And for, at the time, the regular football person, it was like, a player never normally runs the ball and does a certain thing. And, you know, so it was a bit confusing for some people. But as my studying went on further down the line in terms of the human body and understanding, I started understanding that, you know, when we when we do a lot more things barefoot, we obviously will strengthen up a lot more of the muscles within the foot itself. And um, because in the beginning of times, we didn't have trainers, we didn't have footwear, you know. And you think of like the rubber soles on the shoes when they came involved in a level of chronic information started to go higher within in, in, in people. So what I started to understand and engage through studies was that there were certain parts of my body that was stronger through my barefoot situation through karate. So which was able allowing me to do certain things running wise with the ball, changing directions that just seemed a bit different to the regular person. So from then, I've always encouraged people to do so many, you know, activities, especially when they're younger and especially like barefoot activities as well. So then you ended up at Yeovil, didn't you? So that's obviously like your big kind of uh, break into league and stuff. And that was through, was that through like a coach or something? Yeah. So the manager at the time, um, Steve Brown, when I was playing for Potter's Ball, um, he put a few, I think it was five of us through for a trial. But it was interesting the relation that I even had with Steve Brown because when I first was at Potter's Bar, he wasn't even playing me. And then it was so interesting when he started to play me was I was involved in a car crash, funny enough. Um, one of my friends, he was driving, he lost control of the car, he went over some gravel and the car skidded, hit a lamppost and the glass is shattered and just shattered on, on the left side of my face. Some of my face was cut, some of the, the glass stayed in there. And I remember that same, I think that happened on like, a, I think it was like a Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we was going power league. And then it was that same following Saturday, he decided to play me. And I'm like, you doesn't, you don't even really talk to me. You've not really played me. And all of a sudden, you know, you played me. So then it was like, from there, I was doing well. Um, Initially, I didn't know if I was going to do what well. I just felt like someone wants me to fail, you know, going through what's happened this week, somebody wants me to fail, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm done well in that game, done well the next few games after that as well. And then, yeah, he just started talking about, you know, trials. Uh, first, he mentioned Dagnar Redbridge. Um, he also mentioned Yorval at the same time as well. Um, and I was like, obviously, instantly you start Googling like Dagnar Redbridge, Yorval, okay this team's higher. I prefer to go there, but you know what? Wherever I can go, I'll go. So we ended up going to Dagenham first. I was going back and forth, I think, for about a week or two. And then I remember asking the manager at the time, John Steele, I said, um, where do you see me in your in your team? Um, and he was like, third choice left back. 
and but he wanted me to sign a um uh, a non-contract and I was like at that time I was very wary of like contract tools because you know sometimes people can get caught in situations at the time down there I was noticing that there was a lot of young players that it just seemed like they were fed I don't know I just felt like they were fed lies a lot down there and it was like they was living a dream that just I don't know how to feel like it was a dream that a lot of them wouldn't really get to realize mm-hmm. a lot of the young players so I just remember thinking I'm not signing anything like, because if I sign anything, you probably, you're going to have something over me. And why would you want me to sign anything if you see me as third choice left back, you know? And that's when Steve Brown, I spoke to him and he was like, oh, forget that. Um, let me talk to the person I know down at Yeovil. And then, yeah, I think it was Steve Thompson he spoke to. And then, yeah, went down to, to Yeovil and started a journey from there. What was it like moving to Yeovil then? You know, because I'm guessing the first time you'd ever been to Yeovil, I'm guessing. <laughs> That was probably like the first time I'd really probably gone out, not like the first time I've gone out of London type, but like the first time probably like as, as an adult, like really going far out there with no close family or friends with me. Um, it was a bit different. It was very different because coming from a multicultural environment, it was now just being in the area and it was just, just literally loads of white people. The only players I remember being, there was a couple of black players and those were the only black players that, you know, I, I saw within the whole um, area. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, so the trial was a bit interesting because it was like we was going back and forth for the week. Every weekend, someone got released on, um, on, of the Potters Bar players. And then I ended up being the last one up there myself. So that was, again, a bit daunting because now it's just me one by myself going into training. Um, obviously, then I heard they wanted to sign me, but then I started getting a bit nervous because I'm thinking they then wanted me to come back for another game. And I'm thinking... I don't want to go back for another game and now I have a bad game and they're like, no, boom, boom, boom. But yeah, I went back, done well. And then, yeah, was it Nathan Jones? Is it a good, it was around a good Friday time and Nathan Jones ended up, I think he, he done something to his elbow. I think like he broke his elbow, he broke his arm. And then they gave me a phone call and said, we need you down there. So yeah, flew down there to Hartlepool and had to sign up a couple, couple papers. So you settled in quite quick then. Was the did you have to adjust much, uh, or, or I suppose the football you were in, it was, I bet it was kind of blood and, blood and thunder, wasn't it? The football you were in, so it was it hard to adjust. Yeah, everything was a uh, not wouldn't say hard. It was obviously footballing wide. It was now something different to be be used to because now you know you're in an environment where there's loads of fans and stuff. So you're trying to jig all of that. Not really had much preparation in terms of. You know, even adjusting to all of those environments coming from Potter's Bar, I don't know, 50 people turn up at a game sometimes or maybe even less. Um, so it was different, obviously, trying to adjust in that sense, like, you know, learning how to... It was like learning how to play football all again because up until 21, no one had even taught me how to pass the ball, really. No, no one had taught me even what to uh, uh, receive the ball on your back foot. And just simple basics, I was never told. So it was like really like relearning everything again so yeah. yeah the adjustment it wasn't so yeah i could say it was a bit hard but it wasn't like hard hard like frustrating kind of hard it was just obviously now just relearning everything and relearning to live in a different environment as well mm. and, and are you still have you still got the record league appearances for yeovil yes i've got the most appearances in the in the national league for for yeovil so yeah obviously they're in uh in the non-league now 
no, yeah, most most football league appearances, should I say, most football league appearances um, for Yeovil Town. Um, beat Terry Skiverton. Terry Skiverton is the the main man over there, as we as we all know. Big up Skibo. Um, so yeah, so that still stands. Obviously, they're in a non-league at the moment, so it seems like it will stand for a little while longer as well. Yeah, a nice club, aren't they, Yeovil? Do you do you keep in touch? Keep in touch with them at all? Yeah, you know, a lot of the people that was over there before when I was there, like a lot of the staff, um, they've gone. Um, I still speak to a few players who I met over there, like Terrell Forbes, um, Gavin Tomlin, Lee Peltier, um, and Andre McCollin. Yeah, so a few of them that I, was, I knew, obviously, when I was over there, I still do keep in touch with them. So, yeah, and it's nice. It's nice, it's nice, it's nice. Another ex right, Terrell Forbes. Another ex right, Mr. Forbes. Yeah, man. So me and Forbes, funny enough, gave me a little FaceTime yesterday, actually, yeah, as well, so... Close one because again, living with him, I did live with him when I went down to Yeovil. Mm. Um, and I think it was one of the best things that I had done because he always watched the games back, and him and Gavin Tomlin used to always discuss things about the game. So, what was good was that sometimes even Lee Peltier would come to the house, and then it kind of forced me to go into the front room and sit down and see what they're talking about and you know, start di- dissecting the games myself as well. So that was probably one of the best things that happened to me down at Yeovil in the beginning. Old Town never recovered from what their manager, Russell Slade, described as two minutes of madness against Stockport County. The Glovers had fought back at Hewish Park from going a goal down to lead 2-1 after 43 minutes. Nathan Smith and Paul Warren put Yeovil in charge and they looked at that stage to be on course for a much-needed victory that would lift them away from the League One relegation zone. It's funny because, uh, like, some of the footballers I've spoken to, some of them were just like, just played the game and didn't really have much else to do with football. And then others are like, will watch any football match that is on TV at like any time. Which mm. which kind of camp do you fall into? Do you know what? Initially, I would I would just watch selective games. I was a bit of a gamer in the early part. Funny enough, I used to just be on um, Xbox. I used to be loving Gears of War and Halo and all of them things, Call of Duty. And then as time went on, I think the more you start to appreciate the game, like even like being even like growing up as a supporter of Manchester United, that just kind of just went out the window. And it was just a pure appreciation for whoever came on the TV and played the best football, mm-hmm. you know? So I was a person that I literally, anything that came on TV footballing wise, as long as it had a bit of good quality, I'd, I'd, I'd watch. So, yeah, I'd fall into that category that I'd watch a lot of football that came on TV. Yeah, nice. And, and were you always a left-back? Yeah, um, I started off as a left-winger um, at Enfield, actually. So, left-winger at Enfield. Um, manager came in, was it Dave Macca? And I think he had a dude called Ronnie. Ronnie used to be one of them local tricksters. He's a winger, one of his boys. So, he was like, listen, if you want to play, you got to go left-back. Obviously, I never knew what to do, but at that age, you just want to play football. Mm. So, ended up just going left back and, yeah, it, it worked out. I've had a few left footers uh, on, and it's interesting that the left footers sometimes feel that you can kind of get moved around a bit as, as a left footer because you can kind of do a job in many different positions. Sometimes you can get, get moved around a bit because you are the one of the few left footers. I guess it happens sometimes, isn't it? And I guess the main thing for me was that I wasn't stubborn in terms of not being flexible. You know, I just wanted to play. So be it, end up learning a new position where sometimes, you know, 
a manager will have his thoughts and have his players who he wants in certain positions. And, you know, some people, rather than, you know, finding a position for themselves within that setup, you know, they might be a bit frustrated. And that's, that's their fault, right? If they want to be frustrated and don't want to play in a certain position and wants to play in that other position. But again, sometimes the knock-on effects are you just end up falling out of the game. Hmm. And also for me, like I said, I just wanted to just play. So I just gave it a shot and done all right, didn't I? Done all right, yeah. <laughs> and so then I saw that you were like linked with quite a few clubs when you were at uh, at Yeovil. Um, but then I think you ended up signing a new contract, but then you ended up coming to us eventually. So how yeah. did it all happen coming to Chesterfield? Do you know what? Um, I think it was obviously in the early part I started linking with some new agents and talking to some different people from time to time. Um, in regards to like all the interest, I think as you, as a player, when you go throughout the game, as you get older, you just realise more or less everyone sometimes can have interest on you, innit? And you don't know if it's an agent just working one and twos to try and get other people involved and whatever. But obviously at that time, you're kind of thinking, oh my gosh, this person involved, that person's involved, that one's interested, Reddin's interested and so forth. I do remember a lot of Woos who said to me that Reddin did inquire about me at one time towards him. So I didn't know there was obviously some form of strong interest. But yeah, nothing materialised down the line. Um, obviously signed another contract, went on again. And then, yeah, then just when that contract came to an end, um, obviously got offered another deal, but I just felt, you know what, I want to try something different. You know, obviously I've been where I've been for the longest. Um, I know a lot of people talk about, you know, going to Chesterfield is a bit more in a, in a scope where a lot more people would come to see you as well if you're, if you're doing well. And it was like, you know what, you don't get a long time in the game, so why not? And how, what did what did uh, John Sheridan say to convince you then? An interesting character, isn't he? Um, what did he say? See, Shezzers, when you meet Shezzers, he's just a funny, good person, isn't it? Like, he loves his jokes. He's, he's just like a manager that just wants to win, isn't it? You know, um, so I think one of the difficulties is, is when you're like, when you meet a manager, to be honest, every manager more or less is going to say the things that you kind of want them to hear. You want to hear to a point, you know, you want to win, yeah, I like my teams like this, my teams like that. And you kind of just kind of just go off like personality as well. And for me, his personality was cool. Obviously, I'd heard things before, you know, he can lose his head from time to time. Cool, but that's a lot of managers, isn't it? You know, but you don't get to see certain things until you're obviously in the building regardless. But, you know, the initial meeting with Shezzers was was good, man. It was nice. He was a nice person. And yes, yeah, so I just thought, you know what, like, let's go. As a As a player, do you learn do you learn over the years how to manage a manager? So to like, you know, pick your battles with them and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, no, 100% because I think for me, I'd never been in an environment where like managers really lose it or start dissing certain players, like, you know, cussing them sometimes. So, you know, I think it was new being in and around Shezzers because when he was ready, he'll say some things like, you know, you might head the ball wrong. You call you a 50p head. This is live all whilst the game going on. And obviously, it's like you're trying to adjust. Like, I've just done something wrong here, and like someone's saying X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, you're sometimes trying to re collaborate the brain and all these little things there. So, I think for me, it was a new experience, you know, to play again um, around someone like that. Yeah. But like I said, he was an interesting person. He was a very like, 
I think when I look, when I fast forward like to, like to now times, I've always said from the longest, like in the last how many years, like he would actually be someone that I'd love to play um, under again. Because again, when you're new to someone like Shezers, you can misunderstand his delivery, you know? And for him, one thing with him, it was never actually personal. Like he just obviously would just say what he says, but you probably play next game. You know what I mean? Like, but it was just his way of speaking, which for some people, obviously they can't handle that, you know? Um, and that's just the way life is sometimes. But as you just said, you know, as you get older, you learn how to take certain things from certain people, understand certain people's traits a bit differently to how, you know, some people's are. I think it was uh, Neil Trotman a few weeks ago that was saying that because Sheridan was like a bit of a, a, a bit of an inner city kid, who's kind of from that background himself, he found it quite easy to relate to him and he said uh he said he probably shared a few characteristics with him from kind of Shez's background and stuff like that which I thought was quite interesting yeah no listen as I said Shez was cool man like obviously when you're from the outside and obviously yeah being in the inside there was a bit of rocky moments we've obviously you know when we the whole relegation time and all of that but he generally is a good he's a he's got a good heart but again it's one of them where you have to ride the rough with the smooth to see that he actually does have a good heart. And and I guess sometimes when you're as good as what he was as a player, you know, when because even what he would do sometimes in training and he can't even run and you still can't get close to the man, you know? So you could understand sometimes how, when you're that good, how you can become frustrated yeah. with people sometimes that just can't, like you say, pass it five yards sometimes. So like I said, like when I look back at Shezza, Shezza was a good person. You know, I mean, I've said it to many people, it's just that if you can't handle a certain style, then you can't be around it, you know, obviously. And but I guess it works both ways as well, because some players can handle it. And sometimes I feel like with society, when society keeps changing, you know, managers sometimes have to find another way to adapt as well to getting the most out of certain players and, and situations as well. Mm, yeah, totally. So like you mentioned, that season, that first season was a, in the league form anyway, was a bit of a bit of a tough one, wasn't it? I sort of spoke to a few players that said we never quite came into that league. We lost a few players, lost Craig Davis and Jack Lester was a year older and, and stuff like that. Maybe if, if a few things before the season started, maybe the manager wasn't backed, I don't know. But it was kind of, kind of a difficult season, wasn't it? Just trying to get some momentum going, I suppose. Yeah, it was very, very up and down. Obviously, more down than there were ups. Um, as I say, like, I think, like, obviously, what you come to realise as well sometimes is that, you know, with the types of characters that you can sometimes have and the manager says certain things, you know, sometimes you start getting loads of little fractions that start appearing and they feel a bit upset because someone said something and so forth and the energy just starts waning and stuff like that. So it just makes the change room and the games very much difficult to get through. Mm. You know? So that first year was, was, was very challenging, very, very challenging. I know it was challenging for a lot of players. It felt difficult sometimes to even come in to the change room. Yeah. yeah. You know? Sometimes you just feel like you want to start that season again, just get that season kind of done. I suppose it must be quite draining if. if... I think see, when you're getting, when you're holding licks on a regular, sometimes they want to go in. It's not even that you want the season to done or whatever or restart. It's like, you say, well, it's something you don't even think about whether it finishes or whatever. You just think you're like, I don't want to go in, you know? But 
again, the clock don't stop and you're having to find another way of, you know, going back in to try and make something happen to make something work. But then, like I said, it's difficult and it can be difficult for a manager as well that when a lot of players are now carrying the frustration, it's a lot of heavy energy that needs to now be influenced. And if so many are pushing to the left, it's very hard now to push everyone to the right, you know, which is why I say like it's, it's just generally finding that balance from from both sides, you know. Sometimes I feel like players need to understand, like, the side of the manager and, you know, what he's like as a person and, you know, even understanding that this is one man trying to influence, looking, what, 15, 20 players and some players are going to feel a certain way when they're not selected and some this, some that. Some say they want the truth. She has a man that's just going to tell you the truth and when he tells you the truth, now you don't like the truth. <laughs> now you're going off to someone else and you're stressed and you're cussing. And so, again, I feel like sometimes some of the characters may not have been able to handle some of that. And yeah, and I could understand it. So then it's interesting when you get a lot of teams, when they have seasons where they struggle, they have really good cup runs. Mm-hmm. Is that because you can just kind of see that in isolation of, and kind of forget the league for a little bit? Do you know what is actually a good question? A very, 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 very good question. And I don't know even what the answer is for that because it's interesting. How can you, you know, not perform one week and then, you know, two days later or so, whenever that cup is, all of a sudden perform, you know, and then all of a sudden, cool, you say, you're like, we've got a bit of momentum now. And then the league comes back and then that then happens, you know, so... It's a catch-22. It's actually one of them questions that you, you know, you, you just can't even really, really put put your put your finger to it. Yeah, and you've obviously got the shirt on. Excellent, excellent shirt. Uh, glad it still fits and everything as well. <laughs> um, what was it? What was it like then? That run as you're getting kind of closer to closer to kind of final and stuff like that. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because Johnson's paint trove is something that's not always like taking that seriously in the early rounds. But then as you get closer to the final, you're thinking, oh, actually, there's a chance for final here. And you uh, you can see how it starts to then, maybe then the pressure starts to come on a bit. How was that cup run for you? Yeah, um, I guess that's what it's like sometimes, especially in those times there. That's what it was like with those type of cups. Like management wouldn't really to be too, too fast in the early stages. But all of a sudden, two, three wins, you start seeing Wembley knocking your front door. You know what I mean? Um to be honest, I didn't feel like I was even going to play in the finals, you know. Um, obviously, leading up to it, sometimes wasn't really even involved in the in the starts. Mm-hmm. So, when I did get selected, and he gave the funny enough, he gave the team the day before. Again, it kind of felt like that moment of being involved in the car crash, and then all of a sudden, the manager now selected me, you know. Um, so I remember that night before, I remember I couldn't sleep. I think I was up to about three in the morning. I thinking, flipping it. What am I gonna do? I remember texting my friend. I said, "Bruv, I can't sleep right now." You know, you know. But yeah, obviously, it turned out turned out to be good. Mm. Did you have quite a few family there or anything? If you if you kind of weren't necessarily expecting to play, you invited loads of people along or not? Um, yeah, no. So my mum and my mum and my cousin came, um, and that was just probably just because you know. I'm going Wembley regardless, you know, whether it be on the bench or whatever, um, I'm going to go Wembley. So they were going to come. My cousins, we know, we grew up with my cousin and we was always outside playing Wembley doubles. So it was just one of their moments, even if I didn't play, you know, we've gone from playing Wembley doubles on the streets to Nathan actually being at Wembley. So 
again, mum was always going to come and support, and then yeah, cousin was going always going to come as well. It feels like a big old pitch, doesn't it? It's, it looks it looks really big. Obviously, football pitches can't be that much bigger than any other football pitch, but it looks it looks massive. Does it feel massive? It's big. It's big. It's big. It's wide. The pitch is wide. So when I remember, um, was it Man United Barcelona at uh, Wembley, and Barcelona was just playing some crazy football, it always makes me think of that time being on Wembley. Like it's so wide. And again, so you get a good footballing team that knows what they're doing. Damn, it can be a long day for you on Wembley, you know. The environment was lovely. It's just different. It was, a yeah, definitely one of the one of the best, best stadiums that I've been in. Yeah. And Swindon were in great form leading up to that. And obviously, Di Canio was there with his coat on and his scarf. <laughs> Looking like he was swe- sweltering. Wouldn't we'll, we'll take it off. <laughs> Yeah, again, so that's why I said it was like that kind of car, that car crash kind of moment, like the Potter's Bar days, because it was like not really featured too much. Now you throw me in the big end. Like Swindon of all teams, absolutely playing some amazing football at this time right now. And then you've got Richie, who's absolutely just tearing everyone up week in and week out. And I'm like, for flip's sake, man, like me. But Again, it's one of them situations where I always say, like, you know, sink, sink or swim. You know, you either stand up to the challenge or, or you sink, yeah. you know. So, but, yeah, so I had to stand up to the challenge and something nice came out of it. Yeah. So the thing everyone wants to know about, obviously, is that tackle. <laughs> how, how was that tackle for you? It, it was It was a... I mean, if, I'm sure if you asked any Chesterfield fan at one of their, at their favourite tackle of the last decade, two decades, whatever... That'll probably be top of the tree. It, it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, listen, I guess that like, I always say, and people used to say to me, like, what was it that was going through your mind at the time? And it was so interesting because the whole game, every touch that Richie took was perfect. Yeah, every touch he took, it was perfect. That I could never get close. Because he's someone that if you get too close, he's gone. It will just one, two, and he's gone. And it was the one touch that he took and it wasn't even really like a poor control that's how in just and I feel like that's how much the fine detail can be sometimes in football that it wasn't even so much of a poor control it just was I feel like poor for for his standards do you know what I mean like because his touch has been so consistently always just there boom close to him that the one time that it was just what a two inches away from him it just felt like an opportunity just to just go, bam, you know, and it was there. And I knew, I think one thing with me is that I've always, even like still that now, I, I kind of just, I don't know. It's like when you kind of understand the art of defending, you just know when you're going to get the ball, especially if you're going to fly in like that, like, you know, because you know, if you don't and you're flying in like that, it's a red card, mm-hmm. you know? And I've always been a man, I, I don't want to pay no red card monies and mm-hmm. I don't want managers to come to me and talk, boy, you know what? To say you got this mission, I might have to pay a one week fine. So for me, it was always making sure that everything was timed. So guiding for that challenge, I knew I was going to get the ball. I just knew it. Yeah. And it was a great reaction as well. I think the reaction half made it. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? With that, it was because I knew I, I got the ball, but I also got a bit of him as well. And I think in the game, it's like, you don't know sometimes what the referee is going to give. And the last thing you now want to do is now get up and start looking around at the ref like, 
because now you're giving away that you'll know you're not really 100% sure whether what you've done was right. So then he may, may clock that and feel like, no, nah, I've got to do something now because remember, Richie's now lying on the floor. So you just got to go with a go with a drum and just tell him get up, you know. <laughs> There's Connor Holmes out to Richie. In goes Nathan Smith, and that's tackle of the day. Rich is writhing around. I thought Smith won it beautifully. Well, I think it's an old-fashioned challenge. I just think he catches Smith in possession. He's gone through. He's, clear, he's, he's taken the ball. And I think in the old days, it, it's, 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 a, it's known as a, a, just a, a tough challenge. And I don't think the referee has given anything except for a throw-in. He's not. Touch is a bit, a bit loose. I think Paolo Di Canio is instructing his own player to get up. What was uh, I, I suppose that manager changeover then? Because I, I suppose it didn't really, didn't really quite start right, did it? For mm. shares, and then that Accrington game kind of came, and everyone, I think, Dave Allen wanted Paul Cook after that Accrington match. Yeah, kind of happened. Mm. What What was it like when Cookie came in? Um, Cookie just always enthusiastic. You even hear it in his like, even at his interviews, just like even like now till this day, like when he talks in a certain way, he just always has that enthusiasm about himself. Um, and yeah, he just came in and just wanted to try and play football, you know, from the get-go. And obviously knew he wasn't going to be how he wanted it because, you know, you're, you're taking over a team that's, you know, pretty much flat at this moment. But yeah, he just come through and I feel like, because obviously when players now have their mindset set on one thing in terms of, right, cool, this is the situation that they're currently in and this is their manager, but now someone new comes in, a lot of players feel like, you know, all right, there's possibly an opportunity here. I may get a game, you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what happens. And I guess he come with the right enthusiasm as well when things started going well. And um, what was what was the squad like then, uh, kind of, that season? In fact, during your just time at Chesterfield, who were the people that you were kind of closest to? Um, Like... Put out your Armands, Armand Hanangele, um, Sam Morsey. They were probably like the two I was I was most close to. Then you got your Tendai, Derika, um, you know, Jacob, young Jacob. Um, then yeah, then the rest, like I got on with everyone, you know, your Leicesters, Westy. Like Westy was just hilarious. Like, you know, he's one of those people that we'd call it dry banter. Like it was so dry, but hilarious. You know, when it's so dry that it just makes you laugh. Um, like Jack was just a great person to learn from as well. Um, Drew, Tommy, I guess so. Yeah, got on wall him like Dell. Like, yeah, it was it was just nice. Even like when Nicky um, Jose came in, so I got along with him as well. So and Dave Davis, Dave Davis was wicked. Still talk to him now. Like, yeah, so I got along with a little bit. Yeah, the most the two that I was very much close to would have been Sam Morsey and um, and our man. Like we still talk to them now. Me and Sam got a book club that we do as well on the weekend. So yeah. Nice. What book are you reading at the moment? Um, so the what we just selected this week is the the Alchemist. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah to the Alchemist this week. So we'll see what we get from that. What learnings we gather, and when we discuss it, see what's what. <laughs> Excellent. And um, I, 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 I mean, you might have seen uh, when I called out for questions and some stuff. Someone said, "Oh, can you remember sharing a taxi uh, with a fan at some point?" <laughs> like the it seemed like at that time there was a a good like togetherness between that that squad and like the connection between fans and squad was really pretty decent as well. 
Yeah, I think, you see, when you're winning games, like, fans and clubs just want three points, in it? Three points and see some dedication. As long as the dedication is there and, you know, you're getting the three points, whether it be every week or every now, every other game or something like the connection, I feel like, will, will, will always be there. So the fans are always good, man. The fans are always wicked, you know, even like when we arrive at the game, at the players' entrance, you know, you'll always have some of the fans there just... And even if it wasn't good, like the game, then you always had a set of particular fans always at the players' entrance that would always just be, you know, giving you the thumbs up and being nice. So, yeah, man, that was always something nice about being over at um, Chester's, Chesterfield. Nice. And I think we I think it was the season before, but you got a Jamaica cap, didn't you? Uh, yeah. After joining as well, was it Honduras made your debut again? And there's another one as well, but yeah, I played twice. Um, I can't remember the other one was, but um, yeah, that was a great experience. That was very, very different to what I'd known. Um, yeah, everything about it, just even like where we stayed, the when we played Honduras, like the kind of things that you would see. And the banging on the buses and like the sounds that the fans would make, the environment was just different. You could say it was a bit, I don't know. It's interesting because you can say it might have been a bit more feeling like a bit more hostile because, you know, the outside of the stadium looked just kind of like beat up. And, you know, traveling to the game, you've got police, um, you know, all the areas just look very much run down at times, you know, when you're on the way to the game. So it kind of gives that hostile feeling. But then, you know, you, I guess if you're coming from over there, you probably get used to it being in Honduras. And then, you know, they might come to Chesterfield or something or come to Wembley and be like flipping, oh, like this is hostile. You know, so I guess it was just the experience of it being different was very, very interesting, you know, like very, very interesting. But I enjoyed it thoroughly, like met some great people, still talk to some of them right now. Um, the chefs, the foods that they cooked, like, yeah, it was literally, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And, and when you get player of the season, I think you got you got fans and players player of the season at the same time. Uh, kind of both mean different things, don't they? I suppose. How do you mean? Well, in that, like players, uh, like fans, uh, mm-hmm. fans watch football differently because they don't have the experience, do they, of, of kind of playing it? Sometimes, how how we judge a player might be a bit different to how. Uh, how one of your fellow pros might see it because they might be marking you on kind of different things than, yeah. than we might be. So it kind of shows that you've had kind of a really well-rounded good season if you get both, doesn't it? Yeah, you know what? I didn't even think of it in that way until you just said that, you know, David. So, yeah, so thank you for allowing me to see it in that way as well. So, no, you're right, obviously, because obviously what a player will possibly see week in and week out or every day, should I say, you know, some fans, like you say, may not have that understanding of football. Some may do, but to be able to gain it, um, that recognition from the players as well as the fans, you've obviously have to do something holistic in a sense. Would you agree? You know. So, yeah, I don't know what I was doing though in terms of what the fans were loving. Obviously, I know I was playing my game, but now when you're saying these kind of things, it's making me actually think. Like, I wonder what. I was doing for them to see something to say, you know what, that's my, you know, player of the season. So, yeah, but it was nice. It was nice to get that. Obviously, I was, I got injured. I think it was at Oxford. I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karimba, my foot was mashed. I couldn't walk. And then there's always one, there's always one person. They can see you can't walk. Yeah. I remember Trot, it was Trot, Trot said, are you all right, Smudge? And I'm like, what do you mean I'm all right? I can't walk. 
like don't just say things for the sake of just saying it because you feel like yeah i need to just fill an empty space and just say it so yeah i remember that moment there but um yeah so i, I didn't really expect to win anything to be honest because i had now missed the last portion of the season for for my thoughts you know so to win what i won and be on the crutches yeah, I, was, I, was, I was happy with myself to be honest i'm not gonna lie i was very happy yeah, so I was going to say you played 29 games, I think, that season. Mm. Uh, like that. So, like I say, you had a few spells out. But I think as as fans, we just, I, I don't know, we're, we're kind of superficial, I suppose, in some ways, in that we're very much like, uh, if we see 100%, see you flying into a few tackles, we see you kind of trying your hardest and being vocal on the pitch. And, you know, there's, there's kind of basics that should be a given, I suppose, that... Yeah. Uh, that you kind of see consistently from people and then that usually and obviously a bit of quality as well obviously yeah no definitely i know i'm always a person who you know still to this day i won't, I won't pull out of a challenge if you want to try and give some then cool like we'll go we'll go we'll go one for one do you know what i mean like still back myself like i've always done so and then yeah always trying to go forward and, and get involved so i can obviously i can see how that element there because even when i first came i know like the fans used to love it when I used to go on some little runs down the line and and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's nice. And then title winning season, mm-hmm. uh, so that season after, um, you you kind of played that mini running, didn't you? Right at the end of the season, uh, mm-hmm. including that Fleetwood game where we won the title. Mm-hmm. That's when the pressure really ramps up. And we've kind of seen recently when teams like well, you know, most teams that are at the top of the league coming into like the last ten games seem to then seem to really struggle with form. <laughs> Obviously, because it gets harder, I suppose, the closer you get to it. Yeah. Uh, what was it like, that running at the end of the title winning season? That running was interesting again, because it was like, um, I think one thing I will always say is that, and I've always, that's why I've always had so much respect for him, was that, you know, Cookie did say to me, like, you will play, you know, and for me as a manager, to live up to your word, I will always respect that. Do you know what I mean? And oh, just even as any person, but you know, sometimes I feel like in a game of football, you know, managers can just tell you whatever. And just to try and keep the change room a certain way and so forth, obviously, because I hadn't been being playing too much. So there was a lot of frustration setting in that with that as well. But he stuck with his word. Um, yeah, obviously it's a bit nerve-wracking because now as well, like it's that time of the season as well. You know, you don't want to lose, you're very, very close. This whole season's been going brilliant. And I just remember, like, the game plan just changed. Where they were, the man then weren't playing ball, like, one time, like, pass, 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 tiki-taka. I remember Cookie just saying sometimes, hit that ball in the channel, you know? And I guess it gets to that point sometimes where it's like, when it gets to that real narrow point, it's just win the game however you need to win the game, you know? So the running was a, an interesting running, but... Again, we just had to win the game how we needed to win the games, and we won the games how we needed to win the games. We started strongly, Blair getting it back from Morris. Fancy footwork from Matty Blair, and he has created the space for the opening goal. It's Fleetwood Town who strike first. And from O'Shea, he delivers the cross, and the finish is provided by Sam Hurt. They are back on terms early in this second half. Just at the moment. They find a way through the mass ranks of the defence. Oh, they certainly can. It's Gary Roberts who's done it. Two goals in four minutes for Chesterfield to turn it around. 
and they are heading for the League 2 title as it's time. Chesterfield 2, Fleetwood 1, which means that Chesterfield are champions. Stunning season here, sealed in some style. And even when you say that, though, we still cherish the moment as well, you know? We still cherish the Oh, moment. nice. <laughs> still cherish that one. And even the old JTP, mate. Oh, nice. Hey, they're nice medals, aren't they? Lovely you get a little box for them or, or not? You just get the medal? No, I just got the medal. So I put them in a, in like a safe. But I just because we know I was doing this today, I thought, let me just take them out. And then, yeah, when I go back to where I go back to, I'll put them back in there. There's not not many people that can can go, come away from the Chesterfield career with a, a cup and a league title. So, you know, done well. Well, well this is what I say sometimes to people. Like, sometimes people would be saying, oh, like, oh, would you not? I think when... um. I remember when, when we got relegated, um, Yeovil went to, they got promoted to the, the championship. Hmm. And I remember one, uh, one geezer that I know, he turned around and he was like, oh, you must be Vex, you know, Yeovil's gone to the championship. And I'm thinking, where was you when, when, when I got mad at a match at Wembley? Do you know what I mean? There weren't even a one little text like, well done and stuff like that. But for me, it's like, yeah, cool. It would have been nice to play in the championship. But it's like when you play football, I think especially where you come from where I've come from, if you can come out of a medal and to be able to, you know, go and talk and say, listen, like I've won a medal, I know what it takes to win a medal, and I also know what it takes to get relegated and when that's likely to come. Like for me, that's more rounded than just saying I've played in a championship and and so forth. But also, which is why I'm happy with the fact that I've got these two these two medals here. And how does all of that that's happened in your football career then inform your life when, you, uh, when you're out in the world? Because obviously you do a lot of speaking, don't you, uh, around schools and other places. Yeah. How does that all come together and kind of inform then how you speak to other people? Do you know what? Because it just lets you know that there's always, life is going to have the ups and downs, you know, when you start studying, when, you know, you say know thyself, it's not a surface level element. It's all right. What is our existence? Where are we? Like, what is what is the atom? What does the atom do? And when you look at the atom, it's always vibrating. You know, nothing's ever straight. If it's flatline, it's dead. So it's always up and down. So when you look at it in that fashion, and you look at football, you look at day to day activities and life. There's always going to be the ups. There's going to be the downs. Whether you have a, a title winning season. Somewhere along that season, there's going to be the little down. It might be a, a moment when you're losing, a, you're down by a goal, but you need to, you know, win it back. It's just always going to have the up and down. So it's allowed me to just go into even companies and, you know, speak to them. Because again, like some people that are, some companies that I've been to and I've um, done keynote speaks in, it's interesting because, you know, you from a perception, you think like a lot of these people have things that are very much together. But you kind of start seeing as well that a lot of people don't have all the answers. Yes, they may be good at what they do with that part there, but some of them struggle to understand that this is just the nature of life, you know, with the ups and the downs. So that's why I'm actually grateful for the relegation. I think I've had two relegations, actually, funny enough. But um, I think at Yobo as well. But um, it's like because it, it taught me, like, when it comes to business as well, what kind of people you want in your team. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I've CEO, 
if your if your if your business is gonna crash, I know what kind of man I don't need in my business because they're gonna make my thing crash. But I know the kind of man I need when it comes to making my business successful. You know, like you see, look at that Chesterfield winning side. It was just enthusiasm. Just everywhere you looked, enthusiasm. Like just happiness, expression, you know, wanting to come in and just give their best and just have fun, you know, have fun for the craft. And so there's so much when you look at it from, you know, when you take a step back that you can just embody and bring into teachings and and, and produce out there just so people can gain an understanding of, of life itself. Yeah, and like, and like you say, Tom Hanks always says, this too shall pass, doesn't he? Because if you're having a really good time, this too shall pass. If you're having a really bad time, this too shall pass. And that's kind of how he lives his life. It's kind of the same kind of philosophy, the right way to look at things. I like that because, again, when you start looking at it all, like, nothing stands still. Like, everything is always changing. Like, what happened a second ago has gone. You know, so nothing stays stagnant, only the thought of us feeling like it does stay stagnant. So I feel like when you start to gain the understanding of that, then it's able to kind of put you more into that space. All right, cool. So even when I look at um, a big part, which many didn't know, so um, that same season when we went to to Wembley, but I wasn't involved, I think we played, I think we beat Oldham at home in the, I think it might have been the St. Johnson's Bay Trophy again. semi-final, but two like one. Semis. Yeah, um, that same day, like obviously, so I hadn't really been playing, hadn't even, I don't think I was even in the squad that game, neither. And I think it was like the biggest realisation that ever hit me, I think, whilst playing football. And um, my gran had fallen and, and landed on, on her head, so she was in hospital, wasn't too good. And I think it was a couple of days prior to that. So it was like, the world teaches you and says to you, if someone goes into hospital, you should feel down and everyone should give you all the sympathy, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't tell anybody, you know, I just, just kind of got on with it and whatever. And I'll never forget, like, I remember sitting in the changing room. I was in, like, if you go into the physio room, I was in the little hut just to the left, sitting there in my, in my grey suit. And I remember, obviously, I'm not happy because not being involved or anything could have sought. And then... It was like, it was kind of like my mind was saying to me, everyone should be feeling, not sad for me, but they should be feeling a certain way for me, even though they don't know anything's going off outside of football. Um, and I just remember just sitting there, I didn't speak to anyone. The only people that knew were Sam and, and Arman. And so Sam just come up to me, just gave me a little tap, just keep going, kept it moving, um, saying with Arman. But then where the biggest realize, realization came was that, one by one, everybody had got ready, celebrating, whatever. One by one, everyone got ready. One by one, everyone was leaving, 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 leaving. And then all of a sudden, it was just me left in the change room. And I literally, I don't know, I just sat there, David, and I was just like, I don't know, something, it was like a light bulb moment came and I was like, life doesn't stop. Like, life actually just goes on. And it was within that moment, it made me look at everything differently now. Like, I can't stay here feeling sad for myself because that man there, Sam Hurd's there and he's got to get on with his life, you know. Ian Everts there, he's got to get on with his life. And Tommy's there, they got to get on with their life. The world doesn't stop for you to feel sad for others. 
you know, but it's then within that having an understanding of that and having an understanding of your situation. And, you know, even if someone does know, like Sam knew, um, our man knew, but they still have a life they need to live as well. So you can't expect people to, you know, pity your situation. Yes, they can be there to encourage you, but you still have to find some way to, you know, continue with your journey. So that was like, I think like the biggest learning that kind of made me look at life differently within a football environment or just life itself. And then to be able to kind of embody that all and, you know, start doing like presentations and, and keynotes. Yeah, that's amazing. Neil Trotman spoke really well about how kind of when you go into football, you never really get a, necessarily get a chance to develop into who you are until you finish playing football. And then when you finish playing football, you're like, oh, who am who am I? Because uh, you don't necessarily change from mm. who you were as a 16-year-old uh, kind of signing YTS forms to through to when you're maybe in your 30s and you yeah football. Yeah. I think for me, with that point where you said about trots, I think I think I was grateful to kind of come into that a bit more towards the end of the second spell at Yeovil. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, just through a lot of like soul searching and just trying to understand more about myself, understand why people suffer, why is it that some person like feels disrespected if somebody dissed their mum and someone else doesn't, someone swears at someone, they don't care, someone calls someone some foul words or something, someone feels very disrespected and traumatised and someone just gets on with it, you know, and it was difficult because it was always challenging, even like, you know, obviously I know we're going to go into it, but like the whole plant-based journey, like, you know, being even scrutinised for trying to be healthy when I'm thinking, hold on, I thought this is what life was meant to be about. You tell us, you know, look after our body and whatnot. Now I'm doing that. Now what I'm eating looks like dog shit you're saying to me. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of these things started becoming like challenging, but through perseverance, you know, I stayed with it. And then down the line, no matter players or, you know, staff who are now trying to do that soul searching, it's so big like so massive and it's like so it kind of lets me know that I was being true to myself from an earlier point you know and obviously like you say there's some players where it comes a bit later in their career or even after their career and when I realized it was through the element of you know depending on when you've been in the game but if you've been in the game for, for let's say like you're 16 or even like you're 18 or whatever and uh, who are you? What do you do? I'm a professional footballer. I'm a footballer. I'm a footballer. You know, you start saying this for how many years of your life? And then all of a sudden, someone chops this footballer wire. All right, all right introduce yourself. Now, who are you? Uh, um, um, so-and-so. And uh, you kind of don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And then depending on what the job is that you're doing now, it then starts to feel embarrassing to say, you know, I'm a footballer for once upon a time and now I'm doing... I'm doing this, you know, so, you know, I can understand where a lot of those issues start stemming from and, you know, which is why I decided I want to go on that, that soul searching trip in, in India to understand why we suffer and to provide help towards, you know, just everyday people, players and, and everyday people. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like you say as well, that trip to India and stuff. You end up then getting newspaper articles written about you. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, look, football has gone, <laughs> gone to India to, to find it. It was like the most noise that was made from being silent. Because it was a 10-day silent retreat, but it made the most noise. Like it just done the reverse suplex of me. 
you know. But again, it it made it it made people look at things differently. Because I remember um, Kevin George, who does a lot of um, psychology work with um, some of the players and a lot of top players and a lot of top clubs. And I remember he went on to BBC Radio as well, and he was mentioning me, just saying, you know, that there's players like Nathan Smith who, you know, he's going on different types of excursions. He's not going on to your regular trips. You know, these are players that are just learning more about themselves to do better, you know, and obviously we do understand that there's a fashion that goes on where so many people start to do this and they want to do this. And, you know, you look at every Christmas, Christmas do, it's the same thing. I don't think it's even changed. Every Christmas do, you find a, an area to go, everyone goes up, they go out raving, then they get up at, I don't know, six in the morning, they have it all day up. Same thing, they go back out in that same night, Sunday, drink, 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 cool. Monday, you have a little day off, back on training Tuesday. No one stops to really say, oh, you know what, who don't drink? Or who who wants to do something a bit different this time? Like, it's normally the same thing, the same thing, which is why, like, now times, like, I'm not, like, obviously, I understand, cool, if you boys want to go and do what they're going to do, but for me, it's like, if it's not an environment that's conducive to me, I'd rather not go. Like, you don't go and do what you're going to do. But I just don't want to be in an environment where I'm just going to be like, just sitting there, it's pointless, you know? So again, it's like, but that takes that courage to sometimes just say, I'm not on that because, you know, a lot of the times, you know, you'll have the captain saying you're going to get fined. Yeah, if you don't turn up, you're going to get fined and no one doesn't want to lose out of money. You don't want to be a sport sport as well. But as I say, a lot of the times, a lot of players don't care about some of the other players' is wants as well. It's just the same set, the same set. I don't, I don't think it's changed anyway um, at, at any club, if I'm clear. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it's just, again, if you can have the courage to be yourself, it's the best way. I say it's breaking that status quo, isn't it, of, uh, of like the rest of the squad being mm. the one that says, no, actually, I've got something else to do. <laughs> something I'd prefer to do. Yeah. <laughs> that takes confidence to do that, doesn't it? Especially in a, I imagine, in a group of, footballers yeah 100% 100% like you said like the status quo is strong and no one wants to look like the odd one out especially if you're new in the game and you're trying to you know you're trying to fit in and all of that so you may not even want to go certain places but you start just going because you're like oh I don't want to look like that small sport and so forth and boom boom so yeah and I've been there where I've done all of that and then it doesn't even get you nowhere you know, a manager may still turn around and say X, Y, and Z after you've done all the little team stuff. And it's like, what the heck was I doing that for? Because I did actually didn't even want to go. You know? So, yeah, just have the courage to be yourself. All right. So we should finish off, really, with, with like you said, the plant-based diet. So I have, I am six weeks vegan. I'm very much enjoying it. I only did it for a month just to see what, See what it'd be like. I've, I've been like pescatarian for quite a while, so I've not ate meat for a long time, but still ate a bit of fish and, and cheese and stuff like that. But I decided to go vegan for a month. And actually, the things that I thought I would really miss after a month, you're like, I'm not really that bothered about cheese or, or things like that. And actually, with the way that the world is nowadays, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To be vegan. It's not hard. No, like literally, obviously, for me, the journey was a bit different down the line, obviously, because you start understanding that the word vegan just becomes something trendy. Um, a lot of people who are vegan, they don't really do it for health. You know, it's just, you know, just to not eat meat. So forth. Whereas my thing was always about how can 
how can my food become my medicine? You know, how can I do my best to avoid hospital unless it's like an, an, an impact type situation? Um, when you speak about the pescatarian, that's what I done first. Um, went on the pescatarian vibe. And then, so I think my transition was very much easy because it wasn't based on any influence from like the media or just seeing loads of things and whatever. So I was able to be in a space where I could make the correct step forward and then maybe make the odd little step backwards and then readjust without having all these little labels around me at the time. But yeah, but now you can go to many restaurants now and there's a lot more options. Um, I remember even Burger King was starting to, they were gonna trial a, a plant-based um, Burger King restaurant. And I definitely feel like there's definitely gonna be a big surge of vegan restaurants or even vegan foods within these next few years. You know, because when you look at, even like when it's talking about the import and export of um, of beef has dropped, and I think it was like 60%, which was reported, was it some earlier on, earlier on last year, I remember reading the article and I was like, it's interesting, no one's not speaking about this, you know? And then now you're seeing, then I'm saying, like I said, you see Burger King, this is big Burger King. They had no interest in, you know, their team is about money. So I always say, if these big chains are now looking at vegan spaces, there's obviously something that you know is is about to come in a, in a in a large number. So yeah, there's more things coming out, and yeah, and it's good to see because sometimes you go to a restaurant, and although I may not eat certain things, sometimes there might just be one thing that you make and go and just have because it's your friend's birthday. But sometimes you go to restaurants and they just don't have nothing, and it's just like you're just you're just there in it. So mm. so what's the so t- show us the drink? So this the. This one's almost done. But <laughs> drinking so this it. is blendy, isn't it? So when did this all happen? So this happened in the early part of lockdown. So last year, like February, what? Yeah, like last year kind of time, February, early February, mm-hmm. um, lockdown. Um, what it was is that I always noticed that whenever we go football, no one brings out a drink. I don't know why, even in the professional game, you go training, if the staff don't bring out any bottle of water, no one has no water. So I thought, you know what, there's this drink that I like. But I said, I know people ain't going to drink it unless it's got a bit of a sweet taste to it. So that's when I decided to add some, um, done a bit of homework on certain sweeteners. And Agave was the one that I decided to pick because it's um, a natural sweetener. But especially for like people who have like diabetes, it's, uh, it's low on the glycemic index chart. So that means it won't spike your blood sugar levels. And that's a big danger to people who have diabetes, but not even just people that have diabetes, everyday people, you know, so you can be healthy, but when your blood sugar levels are getting spiked up, you know, you start having potential sleeping issues or just health issues that could potentially come, which is what a lot of these so-called sports energy drinks are promoting. You know, they're just artificial flavors spiking your blood sugar levels. They cost a pan or so, and you're just like, you know, let me have it, but they're dangerous. So yeah, put that together. Um, just with some key lines, which is nature's natural limes, which has um, seeds in it. So anything that I tend to work off is from an element of seeds because seeds bring life. And um, there's been a lot of foods that have been hybridized which are, are dangerous for our system. So I always look at the element of saying, you know, seeds bring life. So, you know, when we came into this existence, when I came into this existence, you know, mom dad dad into mom so forth you know so i always look at that as a nature replicating itself so if 
I'm not going to consume anything. I want to consume things that is going to bring life towards the body. So going through that journey myself, it's like, all right, whatever I put out to the public, I want that to be a representation and a replica of, you know, what I and how I try to live in that kind of way. So we put the key limes in there. We put the um, Jamaican ginger, which is very, very potent. Um, one of the strongest gingers to help bring down any inflammation. As we said, we've got the agave in there, which is a natural sweetener. And then one key ingredient is the hydrogen water. So I've got a water filter machine that filters out 248 of the harmful chemicals in the water. Um, it's not like, um, what's the other ones called again? I can't remember what they're called, but there's, you've got filters that basically strip the whole uh, minerals out of the water and then you've got to remineralize them, which isn't help, doesn't do good for the body because if it's not remineralized correctly, then the water needs to take minerals from, from somewhere. So we'll take it from the bones. But my water filter machine just takes out all the harmful chemicals, 248, and then produces, keeps all the natural um, minerals in the water. And then you can produce and put hydrogen into the water. So hydrogen basically is a healing molecule that is mainly found in the healing springs in the mountains, um, in like warm countries, but it's produced, it can be produced into the water. And what it does, it goes into your cells quicker than any regular water. So it just hydrates you very much quickly and gets rid of ailments. So people that have been having pain issues in their back or in their legs, um, people who have been injured. Um, I remember one of the one player, Pace of Middlesbrough, he was reported meant to be out for six weeks. So he bought a load of blendies within two weeks. He was feeling fine. And that's because when you understand what true hydration does to the body, then you start then understanding. And when you drink it, you start understanding, okay, like, I get what true hydration really is. Um, one of the latest testimonials we actually had was um, a guy had two kidney stones and he was going back and forth to the hospital for 10 weeks. Um, he had two CT scans as well. And they said to him, he's going to have to have an operation to get the, um, them taken out. He said he was eating healthy throughout that whole time and nothing. Um, so he drank one blendy a day for five days. He bought a pack of eight. Um, he drank one blendy a day. And on the fifth day, he weed out the two kidney stones. So these are just some of the things and the benefits of the drink itself. So again, as I say, when people are going around and they're saying, oh, I've got this energy drink, energy drink. When you understand what a true health drink does, it naturally brings energy and cleansing to the body. So again, people have been saying any new flavors am I going to put out? And I said, for me, really and truly, when you look at marketing, marketing, is just about putting out new flavors. But I just want to produce a drink that is giving life to the body. So I have no intention at this moment to even look at any new flavors because this flavor is doing what it needs to do is what I wanted it to do, just help people with their life and you know slow down any ailments in their body. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's it's amazing how you kind of go from, you can kind of just speaking to you for like an hour, you can see how that journey from kind of, young footballer to then uh to hear yeah you see how it all kind of interlinks can't you like the whole, whole... yeah like David it's been a, an interesting journey like again it's like I think because so many things can happen throughout time and you know you talk to some players me Sam Walls we're always chopping it up like literally always talking about situation that we may go through footballing wise or off the pitch and you know we start questioning health and some things that you know physios may say to us and 
you know, antibiotics that they might give that's not really doing anything. But then, you know, you're having ginger, but you're not telling them and it's reducing massively. And they're like, oh, yeah, the antibiotics is working wicked. But I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, you don't even know I'm not taking up antibiotics. This is the <laughs> this is the powers of the ginger. I always question fasting and be like, well, why is it that they say fasting is bad and, you know, you're, you're starving your body and all of these things. But then you're doing so many recent re readings and researches and you're seeing fasting actually help many people from ailments. And then you kind of divulge more into it. And then you kind of see the benefits of fasting of like the body's always healing itself. Even when I got injured at Yeovil when I done my MCL, um, I ended up fasting for, for seven days, you know, because I wanted to speed up the process. And in, in the beginning of lockdown, I done seven days water fast as well because I said to myself, like, I wanted to challenge myself, you know, and when you understand the benefits of it in the sense of, you know, it's always, it's rejuvenation to your body. You know, they say it puts five years, makes you five years younger and you always feel better for it, you know? So again, when I've done it, just mentally, you feel like a, a mental clarity within yourself. You feel better within yourself, giving that body that digestive break. And yeah, then you just see all of the goodness that comes from it. And then when, you know, because obviously um, recently I've created a health journey as well, which I'm going to put out soon. I just finalizing the last few things, which has, um, so it's got um, a biofrequency uh, machine involved. So basically this machine scans your whole body and it will let you know everything in your body, whether like your left lung is in a potential danger compared to your right lung, your kidney, your liver, and it'll give you some genuine everything feedback about your body. It will let you know if, you know, if you continue, if you continue to do what you're doing now, this could be the repercussions or if you're in a healthy state, continue doing this. And it will also let you know recommendations. So what we've done is we've packaged this up in a way where I am, um, I created a health journey, find enough in the early part of lockdown, but how I decided to create it was different to how I've seen many health things created. So I wanted to do it, have it as a, cause everyone was doing like video things online, mm -hmm. in the early part of lockdown, mm -hmm. but I thought, I want to do my my um, health journey in a way which is just natural. So what I decided to do was I said, all right, cool. I'm going to track my readings for this every seven days for 21 days. And I don't know why I chose 21 days, but then even in the end, I realized, I didn't even realize myself, but it takes 21 days to form a habit. But I didn't initially pick it for that. So I was using a biofrequency scan for every seven days, um, tracking everything. And, but I done it in real time. So I was recording the videos. So I set it out in a way where every day has a theme. And I would talk in the morning when I woken up and just talk about the theme and also how my day went in the evening. So some days may have been difficult. Some days may not have. But I, what I wanted to do was give, um, give it, make it have, make it be authentic because it's so easy, David, just for people to turn around and say, blueberries are good for you, man. This is good for you, man. We all can do that. Do you know what I mean? We all could turn around and say this, but all right, cool. I know blueberries are good for you, but how was my day doing this journey here? So the person who's now doing it, if they're new to this kind of lifestyle, then they're going to find it a bit challenging. So if they're seeing me talk a certain way, some days, David, I'm on the camera. I didn't want to go on the camera some days. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired after like, oh, I had to do that day. But I said, if I want it to be authentic, I want to give it that way. And I'll never forget, is it day 18 on there? Um, is the day that my grand passed away. Um, my, my, my mom called me in the morning and was like, yeah, granny's passed away, so and so. So I remember going on the camera day 18 and I think what I had for that day actually changed it. And I, I renamed it 
of the day of that of ex, of, um, of acceptance, you know, because there's nothing I can do apart from accept that moment there, you know. So everything that I try and do, like I say, so like I said with the drink, I just make sure, make sure like whatever I'm putting out, I don't have to look at it in a marketing sense because I just know I'm bringing the truth. I'm not having to lie to myself. Yeah. If I don't believe in a product or certain things, just won't talk on it. Just like, it's not for me. I can't really say too much about it. So forth, so be so. Yeah, so that will, I'm gonna put that out very, very soon. Just making sure I'm putting um, like a, a writing program to it as well, because I wanted it again. I feel like when it comes to changing your health, I just feel like everything has to come from a holistic point of view and not just a, a surface level. After having a chat with you about your career for and and everything that's happened, like uh, like do you have a do you have a look back at, at that time and, and think about think about like the time at Chesterfield or or how how things that have happened have kind of influenced you and, and stuff like that, like the good times and the bad times and all that stuff. Yeah, no, always like because it's a part of the journey, which is why sometimes I um, if I'm creating certain things, so like. For example, I had to go to Millfield's um, private school a few years back. And it's like, I think it's, I think it's the, the expensive, the most expensive private school in the UK, like 31K for their, for their child to go or whatever. And, and it's like, how do you go to that school and talk to the young people in there? Because what I would say to them, what I would say to some children in, in a inner city in London, I mean, it's gonna be completely different to, to them. You know, let's be honest a lot of their families just got loads of money. So even if they don't go do well at school, they'll have money to fall back on, you know? So it's about sometimes though, looking at my career and seeing what's happened so far in my life. All right, cool. How, how can I help these lot now have, a, have an impact? And, you know, you sit down sometimes, you look back through the career and when it's all really said and done, you know, because whether you're on a grand a week or 500 or two grand a week, like you can have a certain set of money and still be nice and be cool. So then it goes from there. Like, cool. When you do feel cool about the money that you do have, then all right, well, what kind of impression are you leaving on the change room? You know, your peers, your teammates, like your, your, your management, your staff, what kind of impression are you leaving? So, you know, when I looked at that aspect and then when I went into that school, it was all about challenging their perception and, you know, what kind of feeling are you leaving in every single room because you all have money you know so again some people would look back and say oh how can you say you've got happy to be relegated I'm like I'm happy because I got to learn what it was like when a ship can go completely left and I've seen that twice you know but I've also seen what it takes to win a cup and, and win a league whether I played many many games or not I've seen it I bear witness to it you know so as I say, there's so much teachings to come from it. The whole life and the whole career has been brilliant and it's still going on now. And we're going on now with our blending, you know, and vegan food and vibes. We're just bringing out more goodness. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's, I'm sure you'll be welcome in Chesterfield anytime. Anytime you're passing through, I, you'll be welcome from any uh, Chesterfield fan that sees you because... Uh, <laughs> Great three seasons, like you say, cup, um, cup, and a, a trophy, and you know it's uh, and still on the radio every now and then as well with old Bill Dooley. So nice to nice to still have you around. Well, there's even still that song I still remember with that guy playing the guitar before the um, 
St. Johnson's Paint. I think he's still on um, online. He's like singing Chesterfield. I don't know where he is, but tell him hello if he's seen this. You geezer with the guitar, if you're watching this, great song. From the blue and white on the football ground To the crooked spire of this old town From the blue and white on the football ground To the crooked spire of this hometown Singing Chesterfield, na-na-na-na-na Singing Chesterfield, na-na-na 